and and given out in the orphanages and villages all around. And we got the uh, pictures from Vio and Estera uh, as they were part of that process of handing them out and delivering them to the to the kids and the villages and different things. And and it's not just the orphanage that they serve at, but but literally villages all around there, some hours drives away. Uh, you saw the picture of the van that was just jam packed full of boxes, and those would get driven hours away to do that. And and not only did we get the pictures sent, we got some stories that came with it, which were pretty fascinating to me. I'll just tell you one quick one so you kind of get a, a, an idea. Vio and Estera understand that not everybody is happy to receive those. The kids are always great. Some of the adults, not so much. Uh, they're not sure they want the gospel. They're not sure they want Bibles in their villages and in their uh, kids' hands and that kind of thing. And so they meet resistance from time to time from different people. They're like, mm, we don't want this. And they had these boxes and Bibles and they, they, they tell a story when they, when they do it. Um, they went to this one particular village and the mayor showed up of this, of this city village. And they were very concerned because he'd given them a lot of grief in the past. And they're like, okay, how are we going to handle this? And he walks in to the, to the room where they're handing out these boxes and he pulls them to the side and says, I need to speak with you. So they step over to the side and say, yes, sir, what, what's going on? He goes, you're giving out Bibles with these boxes. And they said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And he said, I need 12 of them for some other kids that didn't get them over here. And the mayor's like, oh, okay. They were, they were totally good with this. And so where they thought was going to be resistance, God's favor came. And they were able to give those out. And deliver. there's several stories like that that are just amazing. And, and it stirs our hearts a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it makes us go, man, I'm glad I did that. Or it makes you go, maybe I should have done Operation Christmas Child Boxes and I didn't because I'm a loser or something. I don't know how that made you feel. But it, it stirs something in us as, as we do these kind of things. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that. And I'll, I'll get more into that uh, later on. I'll refer back to that, that story. But, but this, is, this is going to be a, a really cool thing. I love the chance to, to get to preach in big church when, when Mark allows me to do that and, and, and step in his shoes. And I, I'm honored to do it. Um, I've been listening to him preach for, for 23 years. And I just can't get enough. I, I, I get to hear him twice every Sunday. And uh, I couldn't say that about a lot of pastors, but for Mark, and I love to do it. And so this is an honor to, to hopefully share God's word in a way that makes sense to you guys as well, because this stuff hit me pretty hard. So let me just pray. And uh, I want to I jump into this. Heavenly Father, you are good and your word is perfect. It's timely and it hits us right in the heart where it needs to. And I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to listen today uh, to your word spoken and not mine. Uh, get me out of the way. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Um, haven't been praying for Mark this whole week and his surgery and all that stuff. Of course, he has to, to one-up me. You know, I had knee replacement a few years ago, so he has to go two knees and, uh, and do that. And, and with that is, is you think back to the times you've had surgeries or different things. And there's a saying that maybe you're familiar with. I don't know if it's true for you or not, but people say it all the time. Chicks dig scars. Right, that's that's just supposed to be, right. That's supposed to be a a sign of manliness or or whatever that's there. And chicks dig scars. I told Mark that you know Pam's going to find your knees that much more attractive after you have these, these scars on them. But uh, but but it's interesting. I, I think scars are are a fascinating thing. I, I'm sure most of us have scars for some reason or another, whether it's a surgery, whether it's an accident or whatever. I have a giant one right here on my forehead, um, still sticks out and stuff. My cousin hit me in the head with a baseball bat um, while we were playing basketball. It's a long story. Um, we mixed the rules up a little bit when I was a kid. And, uh, and so that happened. I, I have a scar. That, and, and scars tell stories, don't they? 
There's always that. And I, and I think that, that scars are fascinating in this aspect. God created our bodies in such a way that the scars are on the outside, not the inside. Have you ever thought about that? Like God could have easily made it when we get hurt or cut or whatever, that the body heals in such a way the scar goes in and the skin is smooth again. But he allows the scars to be on the outside. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think, one, scars tell stories. And, and the first thing about it is some scars serve as a warning. And they say, you, you see this scar right here? You see this scar? Don't do what I did. Don't combine basketball and baseball at the same time. Um, they're, 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 they're doing it. Other scars have, have warnings as well. Like going to the beach and you're out feeding the pelicans and the birds and you throw it too close and they hit you in the head. I mean, there's things that can happen that come along that scars are the result of that. I think the second thing about scars is this. Scars also um, serve as a challenge. And, and someone sees that scar and says, hey, that scar there, you see that one? That one was worth it. Let me tell you what I went through for that scar. And, and they all have that. So I have a scar on my ankle. Um, when I was born with uh, spinal meningitis, I had to have surgery pretty quick after I was born to cut my ankle. And when I was older, I'm like, Mom, why do I have this scar? And I, she said, well, the doctor had to cut the meanness out of you. And so I so had, had to do Like, thanks, Mom. Um, that's why I'm so kind, because they cut the meanness out of me when I was a baby. Um, but, but in doing that, these scars that tell a story, and these stories typically elicit a response from us, don't they? I mean, we, we hear a story, and it, and it moves us. We hear a story of the orphans in Romania. We hear stories of, of poverty in other countries, and we're compelled to make Operation Christmas Child boxes, right? That feeling that we have, that response to these stories, is called compassion. And I think what we've done specifically in the Western world, and maybe even right here in Texas, I think that what we've done is we've taken this idea of compassion, and we've cut the definition in half and ended it right there. And we've missed out on the second half of the definition, which is critically important. And so I have the definition of compassion. I want to put it on the screen right here for you so you can see this. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. See, and that's where we stop so often. We, we think compassion is feeling sorry for somebody. Man, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for the hurt. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry that you're in a difficult situation or, or this went on or that happened or whatever's going on. And we think, man, I'm full of compassion because I feel bad for what you're going through or what happened to you. But that's not compassion. Compassion has a second component that says accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. See, it's a call to action on the other side of it. Compassion without action is not compassion at all. It's just feeling sorry for somebody. And that costs me nothing. I, I just feel bad. And then I move on with my day because I'm just glad it didn't happen to me. That's not compassion. Compassion is accompanied by this incredible desire to alleviate that suffering in some way. You think, well, I don't have a way of doing that. Oh, but you do. You think, well, only God can do that. Well, yeah, only he can. And do you realize that you have access to him? We have the opportunity to cry out on behalf of others. That's compassion. It's not about financial giving. It's not about jumping on a plane and flying to Romania and delivering the box yourself. See, there's opportunity that God gives us to act out on the compassion. He created us to have this. He gave us our emotions that we have. And we are compelled by doing it. And the stories we can watch on TV, you see them all the time about adopt a dog or adopt a cat. You feel so bad because they're starving and they're crawling around. You feel bad for them. But 
I can make you feel sorry for something, but only God can motivate you to have compassion. He created that in us to do. And, and so that, that video does that. And there's a story in Scripture that I want to look at that helps us understand what godly compassion looks like. And there's five components to it, and I'll go through this, and then we're going to take some action ourselves. And so if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be right now. Acts chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you need it, page 963 in my Bible if you're looking it up. You don't have my Bible, but that's okay. Acts chapter 3. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses, and then we'll just kind of unpack the, the story and, and kind of wrap it up. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There were scheduled times of prayer. This is the afternoon one. Now, a man crippled from birth, it's important to remember he was born this way, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put out every day to beg. Uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Like this was his routine. This was his job. This is what he did. His parents probably carried him out there. Maybe uh, cousins. I don't know. Aunts and uncles. Somebody went and dropped him at the gate because people were going into the church. And they thought church people will feel sorry for him. So maybe they'll do something about it. Right? So this is what he does. It's his routine and he's there. And so he saw Peter and John about to enter. He asked him for money. Verse 4. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. There's an exclamation point. You must emphasize. So the man gave them his attention. Expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said this to him, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They recognized this joker's been here since birth. Like this is not somebody that just got planted here. This guy, we recognize him. This has been his whole life. And he looks way different. He's much taller now, right? He's laying down and now he's running around. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It got their attention. Now, there's there's some some godly compassion in here. And I want to walk through these things quickly and kind of explain to you why. There's five reasons and what godly compassion looks like. Number one is this. um, Godly compassion requires God's timing. Well, what does that mean, God's timing? Well, let's think about this. This guy had been there his whole life laying at this temple gate called Beautiful. How many times did Jesus walk by him and not heal him? Like that's the the temple that Jesus went to many, many times with his disciples. And he just passed him by over and over. Did he forget him? Was he not important to God? Was he just kind of a leftover because he's been that way his whole life so he doesn't know any better? We got more important people to heal over here. Like is that what was going on? I mean, it'd be easy to kind of jump to that conclusion like, well, God forgot him. He's not that important in there. No, God's timing is important. God's timing, because now we're post-resurrection here, and, and so this is going to be perfect timing for God to use this miracle to validate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, now the power of resurrection makes a lot more sense when it's not just Jesus who may have been stolen from the tomb, but now this man, in the name of Jesus Christ, was raised from, from crippleness to wholeness, and Peter and John got to be the ones to do this. God never forgot him. His timing was perfect in this. 
I think we'd be wise to understand God's timing is perfect. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Everything we go through, everything that comes to us went through him first. And there's plan and purpose behind it, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it doesn't make sense. We can trust that the power of resurrection is still alive and well. And so God's timing is, is, is required for godly compassion there to be able to do that. We want to hear God and obey God when he asks us to do it. Peter and John had never reached out to this guy before. But in that moment, they were compelled because they were seeing with Christ's eyes and loving with his heart. Number two is this. It requires personal interaction. It requires personal interaction. Look at what they did here. Peter looked directly at him. So number one, he's close enough to make eye contact. He's able to look right into his eyes. So there's this personal interaction moment. And so he says there and he speaks to him, look at me. And they look up at him and they make eye contact, which is a pretty intimate thing. Sometimes we really like it. I love that when I just look into Amy's eyes and just stare, just drink it in the beauty. I'm full. <laughs> okay. And so we, we, we have these things. It's, there's an intimacy to making eye contact. There's also some fear sometimes uh-huh, when our parents catch us. And they go, did you just do that? I don't know. We don't want to make eye contact. So eye contact, there's an intimacy in that. There's a second component. What does he do next? He reaches out and grabs him by the hand. A cripple, lame, he could give nothing. And he reached out and grabbed him and pulled him in. Can I tell you that godly compassion will get messy sometimes? When we look with Christ's eyes and love with his heart, we step into situations that are messy. And sometimes that mess will get on us. Understand that we, we still reach out. We still love. We still go. I got this weekend, I got to go speak at uh, First Baptist Quero's Disciple Now. It was, it was a great opportunity. I've never been there. I didn't know what a, what a fighting gobbler was, um, but I figured that out. And so I'm there and I'm getting to speak. And last night, six students gave their life to Christ at First Baptist Quero's. It was absolutely, yeah, we can celebrate that. That's awesome. But the thing was, one little girl came and said, can you help me? Like, well, I, I need to get in my car and drive back to Round Rock. i got to preach this morning at Central, and that is what I was thinking. And I said, well, what's going on? My mom's boyfriend beats me and my little brother. I'm not headed back to Round Rock yet. <laughs> and so we stepped into that moment with her and loved her the best that we could and set things in motion for hope and healing for her. Godly compassion will be messy. It requires God's timing, and it requires personal interaction. You're, you're going to get messy with that. Number three is this. It is shown through God's power. It's shown through God's power, not ours. Look at what Peter right here. Peter did not heal this man. Jesus did. If I'm being honest, um, in that moment right there, if that was me, I'd probably be pretty proud of what I did. Get up in the name of Jesus. Look what I did, right? I could get some endorsement deals. I could get, see, that's the way our culture thinks is what's in it for me. Godly compassion says, what can I do for you in God's power, not our own? Because we recognize that apart from God, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Number four is this. It will probably require us to exceed our own expectations, whether we're on the receiving end or the giving end of this. And, and you look at what's going on. This man didn't know that he should ask for more than money. Because that's all he'd done his whole life. It's his routine. He just lays there and asks for money, hoping he gets enough money to, to get food for the day. Maybe his parents need money to help pay for food. I don't know. I don't know his whole story. But I know this, that, that it has to require um, us to exceed our own expectations and believe in Ephesians 3.20 that God can give us more than we can ask, think, or imagine, right? 
but do we really believe that? He can give more than we can ask, think, or imagine as long as it fits in my schedule, as long as it fits in my timeline, as long as it fits in my experiences, as long as it fits in. And we want to fit it into our box, and God doesn't want a box. He's not about boxes. He's about breaking out of boxes and doing incredible things, healing people. But ultimately, we talk about these scars, and if we're being honest, we probably have some scars on the inside, too, that are on our hearts. Hurts, wounds, relationships, past, regrets, whatever those are, there, there are internal scars that are on our heart. And we don't think God's big enough to heal those sometimes. I'm too messed up. I'm too far gone. We don't think that we qualify now to be able to help others because we're too messed up. I've walked away from God too many times. I've done too many bad things. You don't know what's going on. You're right, I don't, but God does, and he loves you anyway. And you're not disqualified from being able to love others because of that. Matter of fact, you're more qualified. Because your story for his glory makes incredible impact. And, and I want to encourage us to understand that he can, we can exceed our own expectations. Don't put God in a box and think, well, I'm limited in what I can do. Yeah, you're limited by what you'll allow God to do. That's the only limitation that we have. So we move on in the story, picking up in verse 11. So he's, he's healed and all the people are kind of freaking out and they're filled with wonder. And it says, verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, which I think is hilarious because he's never had legs that worked before. This is one of those moments I want to get to heaven and say, God, DVR that story. I'd like to see that. Like what happened in that moment? He's laying there. His feet and ankles have never worked. So he has no muscle. He always has these stick legs, right? Because atrophy of the muscles. In there. Was he like transformers all of a sudden? Get up and walk. <laughs> Did the ankles start popping and the muscles go boom, boom, like He-Man? Did he just pop? And then he jumps up like, whoa, these are new. What do I do with these, right? He's, he's never walked before. Think about whenever we were little bitty kids. We have our children and they're learning to walk and they're wobbling and all this kind of stuff. And they have the comfort of being short and diapers so they don't far fall and they have padding to land on. This is a grown man, right? And he's wobbling around like a new giraffe. And so he's hanging on to Peter and John, but he's so excited about these new feet and ankles that he can't hardly contain himself. He's running around, hanging on to them. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Like, why are you shocked that God would do something amazing? You claim to be religious people. You're here at church. You claim to know God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're surprised he did something? That same question can be asked of our generation, too. Why are we so surprised when God does something amazing? Why are you so surprised by that? Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Why would you think it's us? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Like, let me tell you where this came from. This is for God's glory right here. And then he drops the hammer because he got all their attention. And this moment of, of, of power that happened right there, that compassion was there. And now there's a story to be told. And so he rewinds the clock just a little bit and does this. And he says, you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Boom, boom. He's just punching him in the face. You know what you did? Bam, bam, bam. You killed Jesus. You disowned him. You allowed that to happen. Oh, God, I didn't want to feel bad when I came to church today. I was just coming to the church, right? These guys, I just saw something really cool and wanted to know more about it. And he's just hitting them in the face, reminding them of who God is. And he's validating the power of resurrection right here. 
And then he says this to him. So he does all this. Um, and you, you, uh, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Like, this is resurrection power. We are witnesses. It wasn't some anomaly. It wasn't some weird thing. We are witnesses of the power of resurrection right there. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Can I tell you point number five about godly compassion is this? It gives the glory to God. It doesn't steal it for himself. Peter and John had had every chance to do that. And say, yeah, look what we did. Like, we're bad. Follow us. And people would have. Because they like to follow the show instead of the person. And they brought it back to Jesus at least three times. They remind them, this was the power of Jesus. This is the power of God. This is who did this, not us. We just happened to be in the right place at the right time obeying God. And this is what happened. There was no stealing of glory. I'm telling you, it would be wise for us to stay out of God's way too. I struggle with that. I'm being as honest as I can because I like to do, I like to help, I like to be needed. And it feels good to get pats on the back. feels good to say, great job. Several of you will tell me that when I'm done. That was a great message, Alan, really appreciate it. It's God's message, not mine. Don't give me credit. It's his word. I'm just repeating them. And so to God be the glory of godly compassion that's there. And then he wraps up with this because he just hammered them. And then verse 17, now brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance. I, know, I, know, I recognize you're an idiot. Like he's just this backhanded slap to them. I recognize you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, is what he's saying right there. So I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, because they're not real smart either. So I'm going to help you out. This is just great to me saying this. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. See, they recognize the Old, Old Testament. They recognize the old thing. And they're seeing it now come. All these prophecies, this is... They got to see him happen. Like Jesus resurrected. And now people are getting healed in the name of Jesus. These things are happening. As he foretold to the prophets saying that Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, that's, that's huge, the offer that he has. He continues to give us an opportunity to repent. Repent means walking one way, stopping and turning around and walking the other way. That's what repent means. And so it means turn around. And he said, now you have a chance. You've seen the power. You've experienced it. You know this guy. Now repent. Recognize what you did. You were dumb. I understand that. You made a bad choice. It cost a man his life. But he's already raised from the dead. Don't you live in your past and your regrets. Repent so that times of refreshing can come, so that the best time can come, so that you can also live out godly compassion to others. And now we get a chance to do that. And so you have your prayer tags, okay? And and I want you to take these things, and here's how this is going to work for the next little bit, because I'm done talking. You're going to write, I'm asking you to write, your greatest prayer need on this tag. That's what I'm asking you to do. What is the greatest thing that you need to pray for? You do not have to sign your name. It can stay anonymous. um, But I want you to write that on there. And, And godly compassion says, man, I really feel bad for that. Um. And now I'm going to do something about it. See, we, we, we do that a lot. Hey, man, I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for this. But do we really? Well, I'm not going to give you an excuse. We're going to do it right now. So you're going to write your greatest prayer need on this thing. And I want you to come up to this pegboard right here. We're not playing Plinko. Um, and there's some tags already here from early service. So we can have some to start with. But, 
but you're going to write that prayer request on here. And I want you to come and hang it on this pegboard. And then when you leave yours here, I want you to pick up someone else's. And I want you to take it to the cross. We have crosses on both sides. And I want you to pray for it. I want you to go fight for someone who can't fight for themselves right now. I want us to lock arms as the army of God and go before our almighty God on behalf of these and cry out and say, whatever the situation is, maybe it's physical healing they need like Pastor Mark, and we're going to pray for that. Maybe it's just a relationship that's broken that needs healing. Maybe it's a kid that's gone off in the far land and they need to come back to Christ. I don't know. Maybe it's a fear that you have and God can replace that with faith. Maybe there's brokenness and you need wholeness. Maybe there's sin you need to repent of so you can have times of refreshing to come. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, God does. And here's an opportunity for us to hang them on here. Then you take one and you go to the cross. Take a minute and pray for that request and hang it on the cross. So that you know that your greatest prayer need was not just written today, but prayed for by name, by one person. And kids, yes, participate. I think some of the most powerful prayer warriors in the world are under the age of 12. And I love to hear their hearts pray because it's genuine. And they really believe it's going to happen more than we do sometimes. And so I'm going to ask you to come and hang it and then take one and pray and go and leave it on the cross. And then at the very end, um, getting ahead of the game. Appreciate that, Haley. Um, you got to take one, girl. You know, just leave it. You got to pray for one. These crazy things. If you're going to model it, let's model it right. All right. So, so you're going to hang it and then take one and go to the, the cross. I recognize there may be a few left at the end. I've got some prayer warriors that are going to cover those at the end. So we're going to all get prayed for. I promise you on that. But that's our chance to not just feel sorry for someone, but to have compassion and go fight on their behalf right now. We're going to go, and, and our, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the evil forces of this dark world. And, and the fight is won on our knees. That's where we win. So we're going to take it to the cross, which is the ultimate place of victory.